Hey, podcast family, welcome to this episode of Gynecology in History. In this session, we're going to cover the hysterical concept in gynecology's past and how this hysteria condition led to the development of a, well, modern stimulating device. Let's get started now. In terms of strange or bizarre historical diagnoses in women's health, that of hysteria may top the list. No longer recognized as a true medical disorder today, female hysteria was a once common medical diagnosis for a variety of female ailments, both physical as well as psychological. Oddly enough, we still use the term hysterical in our modern day vocabulary. Did you see that movie? It was hysterical. Or she was hysterical after she failed the test and we could not even reason with her. However, if we trace back the meaning and the treatments of this common day verbiage, we may be more hesitant to use it in our daily dictum. You may be surprised to find that the first description of the condition of hysteria dates back to ancient Egypt around 1900 B.C., This disorder of emotional state was thought to originate from spontaneous movement of the uterus within the female body. References to this condition can be found in the ancient medical treatises known as the Khan Papriae. These ancient Egyptian texts describe a variety of mathematical and scientific and medical topics. Most of these texts can be dated to about 1820 BC and is among the earliest representations and descriptions of this idea first called hysteria. Among the oldest of these documents, about 1600 BC, is a remedy for symptoms of depression related to hysteria and it describes its treatment in detail. Due to the wandering uterus theory, therapies varied based on where the uterus was thought to reside. For example, if the uterus had floated towards the head, the patient may be treated by placing malodorous herbs by the nostrils, thereby forcing the uterus back down towards the pelvis. Alternatively, if the uterus had fallen too low in the pelvis, acidic herbs could be placed in the vaginal entrance in order to drive the misplaced uterus back cephalad. Now, the term hysteria can be traced back to the Greek physician Hippocrates about the 5th century BC and in ancient Greek texts. If one reviews these Hippocratic writings, it's evident that Hippocrates believed in this wandering nature of the womb as well. In fact, the term is actually taken from the Greek word for uterus, hist. Now, the Hippocratic corpus describes a variety of physical ailments supposedly caused by the movement of the woman's uterus. One excerpt recommends pregnancy to cure these symptoms. As described therein, intercourse would moisten the womb and facilitate blood circulation within the female body and help to correct hysteria. Here we have one of the earliest recognized treatments being a sexual nature for hysteria. 
Now, this brings us to Rome. Claudius Galenus also sought to elucidate this mysterious female ailment in the 2nd century AD. Galenius was a prominent Greek physician, surgeon, and philosopher in the Roman Empire. In one of his written treatises, Galen describes his findings. I have examined many hysterical women, some stuporous, others with anxiety, and the disease manifests itself with different symptoms, but it always refers to the uterus. That's exactly the excerpt taken from one of his writings. He describes a series of treatments, all of a sexual nature, meant to release the toxins from the woman's body and help correct hysteria. All right, so now we enter the Middle Ages. During the Middle Ages, doctrinal teachings of Hippocrates and Galen continued to be propagated. A chief advocate for women's health in the Middle Ages was surprisingly a female physician. Trotta de Ruggiero, around the 11th century AD, is considered the first female doctor in Christian Europe. Trotta, who was born around 1090 AD, was a strong advocate for women's health care and was arguably the first gynecologist. She is also known as Trotta of Salerno. She is known for having written two important works on women's health and even commented on the nature of hysteria. The medieval medical writings of Trotta blame the disease on, quote, the retaining of blood or of corrupt and venomous uterine humors that should be purged in the same way that men are purged of their seed. End quote. Here's where we get validation, even in the Middle Ages, that, well, let's just say stimulation is the treatment of choice for what was considered hysteria. During the late Middle Ages, the supernatural provided theories of its own. The Malleus Maleficarum, which is Latin for the Hammer of Witches, was a popular and famous book on witches, and even in during this time period. This book called the uterus the source of all evil, and hysteria again was propagated. Prayers, incantations, and even exorcism were suggested were what we are now called modern-day anxiety syndromes. However, the Greeks and Romans had already claimed that hysteria was linked to the uterus and sexual frustration, and these beliefs were reintroduced during the Middle Ages as more ancient texts became available. Our timeline now takes us to the Victorian era. In the Victorian era, hysteria was still the second most common diagnosis in women after fevers. Its presence was defined by a constellation of symptoms from anxiety to nervousness to pelvic pain to even fainting. Another theory was proposed in addition to that of the wandering uterus in the 17th century. This new theory stated that the uterus was, quote, choking, end quote, the patient because of unexpended seed caused by sexual deprivation. Women with hysteria were encouraged to marry quickly or, if not possible to marry quickly, to seek the services of, quote, hysteria experts who would go and provide, quote, medical release to aid them in their condition. 
Homus Sandeman, an influential British physician in around the late 1600s, wrote that these afflicted ladies were wandering around ubiquitously. Sandeman once declared that female hysteria, which he attributed to irregular motions of their animal spirits, was the most common cause for all female dysfunctions. Well, this brings us to the treatments that now lay the foundation for what we now call stimulation therapy. Let's talk about that next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, we have covered the proposed pathophysiology of hysteria. Now let's get in into treatments. One of the earliest records of treatment originates by Gallen that we've discussed already around the second century. As Gallen believed the root cause of this to be female frustration, one of the proposed therapies had to do with marriage and sexual intercourse. For the virgins or widows, he prescribed pelvic or genital massage until release occurred and sedation followed. His techniques would be cited by physicians for centuries to come. Now, during the 1100s, in addition to marriage and pelvic massage, irritating suppositories and fragrant salves were suggested as treatment. These obviously weren't favored. The twin treatment of marriage or pelvic massage continued into the Renaissance era. In the mid-16th century, French surgeon Ambrose Pere continued to encourage pelvic massage as the panacea for hysteria. Yeah, you understand what pelvic massage actually means. By the mid-1800s, spanning throughout Europe and the United States, a new treatment was offered, which was called the douche. This was a spray of water directed at the pelvic area. Now, unlike the modern notion of what we consider a douche now, which is placed intravaginal, the douche of the 1800s was actually aimed towards the clitoral area. Once again, the primary purpose of that was stimulation. The British observer Thurm Malvern in 1851 wrote that after this hydrotherapy, women were happier and more satisfied than before their treatment. Okay, I feel like I need to give a disclosure here. Remember, I am simply relating historical data, and this in no way reflects my personal opinion. So before some emails come by, remember this is historical context, guys. Now, back to the Victorian era. Being the Victorian era and the age of ingenuity, physicians started to look for more convenient ways to deliver this therapy. Because hydrotherapy, specifically aimed at the genital area, seemed to be effective, but also kind of messy and inconvenient at the same time, the Victorian physicians sought out a new invention. So the solution was obvious. Devise a labor-sensitive device that would get the job done quicker and perhaps more discreetly. So what ensued next? Yeah, that's right. The age of stimulation vibration therapy. 
the first electric vibrator hit the scene in the late 1800s, which decreased treatment times from as much from an hour to as little to about 10 minutes. George Taylor, an American doctor, patented the first steam-powdered vibratory device in 1869, a far cry from the sleek, portable successors, the, quote, manipulator device, as it was called, was large and cumbersome and actually sit on top of a table at which the patient would straddle for therapy. This bulky and expensive device was mounted and hard to work with, and so it took other physicians and other inventors to come to its rescue. The British counterpart, Joseph Mortimer Grenville, invented a more compact and user-friendly electric version of the first device. This was actually a type of drill with a small ball on the end. When the device would turn on, it would provide a humming sound, telling others that the patient in the room was undergoing therapy. A more modern understanding of hysteria as a psychological disorder was further advanced after this therapy by the work of John Martin Charcot, the French neurologist. This provided a shift to a more modern psychological view of hysteria. This was expanded later by Sigmund Freud. Now, remember, now we're getting to the late 19th century. By the 1920s, Freudian psychoanalytic theory attributed hysterical symptoms to the unconscious mind's attempt to protect the patient from psychic stress. The birth of modern psychoanalytic theory had occurred, and so began the deterioration of the once popular diagnosis once thought to plague up to 75% of women in the Victorian age, hysteria. However, although the term and the concept of hysteria began to die in the 1920s and 1930s, one of its treatments remained and still stayed popular. The idea of vibratory or stimulatory vibration in the genital area, specifically the vagina and the clitoris, continued into the 50s and 60s, although it was considered taboo. Sales of the device in the U.S. and Europe and internationally began to increase every year and by decade making the now-familiar vibrator one of the best-selling sexual devices for women since the 1950s. Once again, the device initially thought to cure this strange and complex situation of hysteria still remains, but now not as medical treatment, but we'll just say more for personal use. Look, we've covered IUD malpositioning, measles, ACOG bulletins. Sometimes it's just kind of fun to review some weird concepts in gynecology. And that's what we've done today. Hysteria. I hope that you have found this podcast hysterical. Sorry, couldn't resist. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls. We'll see you next time.